you. If you've got your Bibles this morning, I'd love for you to join me in 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. While you're finding your place, if you're our guest today, again, we are glad that you're with us. I bring my welcome to you. Uh, we have been going through a series of messages. I introduced it last week on brokenness. Brokenness. And last week we learned about the principle of brokenness. And what we just basically said that as a child of God, as someone that knows Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord, and there are many, many, many believers here today, many believers. And as these believers are here today, and as we know Jesus Christ to be our Savior, what we said yesterday is broken, or last week we said brokenness is never to be seen as God's abandonment. God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. He loves you as a child of God on a scale of 1 to 10. You're pegging out a 10 every day with God. He loves you. So what about brokenness then? What is this brokenness? If it's not God's abandonment when I'm going through a trial or uh, something that's very uh, discomforting or an adversity... If God hadn't abandoned me, I keep praying and I just don't feel like I'm getting an answer. And If God hadn't abandoned me, then what is it, Pastor? Well, we said last week that brokenness is to be seen as God's activity in our lives. God is active in our lives, even in His silence. And we used the illustration of Job. Last week we said, Job, you think about it. When uh, Satan attacked Job, the first thing Satan had to do is he had to ask God permission. You remember that? And then we know that the Scripture says that God's not going to put on us more than we can handle. And so whatever you're going through, child of God, whatever you are experiencing, whatever difficulty, whatever adversity, whatever trial, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then your anchor holds. He hasn't left you. He hasn't forsaken you. He's trying to break you. You think about this. All through the Bible, we see men like Job, but we also see men like Moses. We see uh, men like Isaiah. We see Jeremiah in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, even Jesus himself. We see God uses people, and he breaks people because he loves to use broken things for his glory, honor, and praise. When we got saved, we didn't become perfect. No, when we got saved, we just didn't experience, watch this, All just wonderful things. No, our family members still die. We still struggle with finances. There's still catastrophes that come up in our lives. There's still disappointments, heartaches, pains. We fight sin every single day. And if God is silent in your life on these things, know that He's active in your life, wanting you to lose your self-sufficiency and put it on Christ and be Christ-sufficient in the situation that you're in. This is where the process of brokenness comes into play. Uh, This morning, the second installment is brokenness is a process. Brokenness is a process. Uh, We look to 2 Corinthians as our example here, our proof text. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, number 11, beginning in verse number 23. Now, let me say something parenthetically before we stand up and read the Scriptures. Let me say that in this section... This paragraph that we're reading is a portion of the paragraph that starts in verse number 16. So the paragraph begins in verse 16. It runs all the way down to the end of verse number uh, 20, excuse me, verse number 33 of this text. 
I only want to deal with verses 23 through 30 this morning. That's going to be our illustration. The context that we find here in this passage is that Paul is talking about uh, his apostleship and how he labored in that apostleship. And in that laboring, we're going to see how he suffered. And we're going to see the process of how he suffered. Uh, if you're anything like me, you, may, you, you might wish that, man, I, I just wish that it would just be nice if God would just take me through one episode, one adversity, one challenge, and from that episode, from, from that uh, adversity in my life, I, I, I just wish that I would learn from, learn from my mistakes. I'd be willing to surrender totally to Jesus. I could abandon all self-sufficiency. I would never drift back into the old selfish patterns of sin. And God would be constantly... It'd be a Christ-likeness every single day. The only problem with that is this. We don't learn that quickly. Uh, we fight the flesh every single day. Remember, Paul said, take up the cross every day. Crucify the flesh every day. Now, he's not saying that we get saved every day. No, watch. When you got saved, the Bible said he saved you from your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins. But what we tend to forget is we think this world is our home. And when we think this world is our home, we become self-sufficient on ourselves. I've met many, many Christians, many believers who love Jesus Christ with all their heart, but their sufficiency is in themselves and not in Jesus Christ. And so what does Jesus do? He puts pressure, he puts adversity, and he begins this process, if you will, of brokenness in our lives so that our attention will be upon him and not on ourselves. So watch what God did in Paul's life to put his sufficiency upon God. Beginning in verse number 23, if you're able to stand, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. The Bible says, are they ministers of Christ? He's talking about those that are in the church at Corinth, and they're trying their best to go back towards Judaism. Go back towards the sacrifice. Go back towards legalism. Go back to that old religion. He says, I speak as a fool. He says, I might be dumb is what he's saying. I might be the dummy in the bunch, but uh, let me just tell you the way I see it. Look at what he says here in the text. He says, I am more a minister of Christ. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in death oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once I was stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been uh, in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils of the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watching often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, Besides those things which are with me, uh, which with, or excuse me, which are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of the churches. Who is weak? Am I? Am, am I? And I am not weak. Who is offended? And I burn not. If I must needs glory, I would glory of the things which concern my infirmities. You may be seated for prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that we would see this biblical principle. And Lord, it would be more than just a sermon. We don't need any more sermons. We need a message from the very throne room of God. And God, coming from the throne room is your word as you spoke to men of old and gave us the word of God. 
So I pray that your word would speak truth into our lives this morning. And I pray that you would change us from the inside. I ask you in the name and through the blood of Jesus that you would strengthen the brethren this morning. I pray, Father, that if there be one lost today, they'd come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I pray your word today would challenge every one of us that's here today. And that we can leave this place and say, it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the word of God. We thank you for brokenness. Draw us closer to yourself through it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For most of us, God's process of bringing us to the end of ourselves and to total love, total trust, and total submission towards Him is a process. And this process lasts a lifetime. You're going to continue to be broken. There'll be continual brokenness that happens in your life. You can either look at that brokenness as disappointment or you can look at it as God's activity in your life. God teaching you, training you, encouraging you. Paul chose to look at it as God's activity in his life. Paul says here in the text, he says in the highlights of his ministry, he says, I've been in prison frequently. I've been flogged severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day drifting at sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger of rivers, bandits, my own countrymen, Gentiles in the cities, in the country, the seas, false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and I've gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Now let me ask you, who wants to get saved and join me on this great journey? And he was going through some really difficult times. Some brokenness. And you think about what God ended up doing in Paul's life to keep his sufficiency upon Christ. He gave him the thorn in the flesh, remember. And then we talked about last week how he prayed three times, God, if there's any way you take this thing from me, nevertheless, he says, nevertheless, I would rather glory in my infirmities. We've heard this before from Paul. I'd rather glory in my infirmities so that your name might be made great. That you might. And he says it again here. He says, the desire of my heart. He says, I will glory in the things which concern mine infirmities. Dear friend, when we get to the point in our lives, regardless of what comes in our way, when we begin to realize that God's allowed for it to happen to come into our lives, And if God allowed for it to happen, it was given to us for the glory of God. It was not given to us to shake our fist at God and say, you're such a mean God. You're such an ugly God. You're you're such a revengeful God. No, he's a loving God. He's a tender God. He's a God of mercy and loving kindness. And he loves you enough to not keep you how you are, but to put things in your life and pressures upon your life to make you more to be like him. Uh, There were no limousines in Paul's life. He didn't have one of them stretched camels he come riding into town on. (laughs) There were no seaside condos. Uh, There was no heated swimming pools or uh, a sleek finished brochure about Paul's life. Paul, in fact, was a broken man. God broke him. And his ministry was that of constant brokenness. God loves to use broken things. Now the question begs when we look at Paul's life, why does God 
take us through repeated episodes of brokenness. Don't you think that just uh, one time being beat uh, with, with, the, with 39 lashes, uh, don't you think just one time would be good enough? I mean, do, we really have to get, do I really have to get whipped five times? How many of you in here had to pick your own hickory? Can I just see your hand? Pick your own hickory. Good. Y'all keep your hands up. Look around. Look at everybody had to pick their own hickory. All right, put them down. Man, I had to pick my own hickory growing up. Lord have mercy. I would try my best to get the smallest hickory I could get. All right? But that wouldn't suffice for Mama. What would she say? She'd say, no, you got to go out there and get another one. So I thought I'd be smart, and I'd go out there, and I'd buzzard, I'd get one that had a bunch of limbs on it. I mean a bunch of limbs on it. Because I knew the more leaves that was on that, then the wind resistant. I mean, I wasn't the sharpest pencil in the box, but I knew that there was a, it was going to slow it down just a little bit. I also learned something else. I learned that if I hugged my mama's leg while she tried to whip me, man, it was like a merry-go-round. I mean, we just went round and round and round and round. But my mom had this incredible ability, Ron. It's incredible. She could take a hickory and hold it by the tip and put her, I mean, just lock her finger just like that and say, <laughs> and I'd look at that, and I'd look at her, and I'd look at that hickory, and I thought, hmm, son, it's over for you. <laughs> now, I never got beat. I was never abused, but my mom disciplined me. It was good for me. I turned out pretty good. I wish I could stand up here and say that I only had to pick the hickory one time. But I'd be lying to you. As a matter of fact, I had to pick hickories on several occasions. Not just that from my mom, but my dad had an uncanny ability too. My dad could unlatch his belt and pull in one swoop. And it seemed like it was just a fluid motion. I don't know if we parents practiced this or not. I don't know if he sat in his room and practiced that. But I'm here to tell you, he flat could do it. I guess that kind of tells you what kind of kid I was. I was a somewhat of a good child, but I, was a, I got disciplined when I did wrong. And I did wrong many, many times. Now, I want you to think about this. As a born-again child of God, God's our Father. We're not perfect. We're redeemed, but this world's not our home. We live in a sin-sick world where sin presses us on every side. We make conscientious choices every day whether to do right or to do wrong. It's, it's not surprising to God that there are times where we do wrong. And it is in that wrongdoing that God loves us enough not to leave us where we are, but to discipline us. Why? Because He wants us to be closer to Him. He wants us to be closer to Him now than we were yesterday. And so maybe the trial you're going through today, maybe the adversity that you're going through, maybe the silence that you're experiencing is God telling you to come back to me. Come back to me. I love you. I want you. I desire you. This morning, I want to give you three reasons why brokenness is a process. Three reasons why brokenness is a process. Number one, the first reason is our sinful nature wants dependence upon self and not God. Our human nature wants dependence upon ourselves rather than our dependence upon God. It's not unusual for a born-again child of God to face the struggle of the flesh every single day. We, each one of us are human beings. In our own humanity, it is sin that's causing us to march towards death. But you are not only, watch this, you're not only a body. God breathed into you the spirit of life. You have a living soul. And that living soul is going to last forever. 
God in his great love for you and I redeemed us by the blood of Jesus Christ. That whosoever comes to him and recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah and receives Christ as personal Savior and Lord. The Bible says the blood of Jesus covers us from our sin. And as the blood of Jesus has washed us white as snow, we stand before God holy, righteous, and just, having our sins forgiven. But while we're here on this earth, while we're here on this planet, there's going to be trials. There's going to be disappointments. There's going to be adversities. And there's going to be a choice and decision that you make. Will you trust in yourself or will you trust in God? Brokenness is God's process of taking us from the self-life into the Christ life. It is taking us from the position of self-sufficiency to Christ-sufficiency. The self-life is that principle of sin wherein within us, God compels us, or within us, there's a compulsion, if you would, for us to live our life independent of God. The self-life is that that's inside of us that compels us to try to live outside of God. Here's what we say, I got this. I got this. I'll never forget this as long as I live. When I was in youth ministry many, many, many years ago, uh, I was doing one of my very first events. Man, I bet we had 60 students. We were taking them to uh, Gatlinburg, Tennessee. I rented a little place up there, a little, uh, I don't know, it was a little camp. I rented the whole camp uh, to bring our students up there. And I rented the camp. I planned the music. I planned the messages. I planned the food. I planned, uh, I planned uh, the games, uh, the seating, the setting up the chairs. Man, I, I just, I planned it all. I did everything. And the reason why I did everything is I was wanting to impress the parents. I wanted to impress them. And so, man, I, I just set that thing up. And, man, I just, I did it all. I, 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 I. And there's the problem, okay? I was trying to impress them. I wasn't trying to impress God. By any stretch of the imagination, I was trying to impress the parents. And so I got to be honest. By day two, I was whipped. I mean, I wasn't worth anything. And I had a parent come to me, and this parent uh, came to me, and she pulled me over into the corner, and uh, she said, can I talk to you a minute? And I said, well, yeah, sure. And she pointed that finger at me, and she said, can I tell you something? I said, well, I guess you're going to. You got my mama's finger pointing right in my face. <laughs> she said, I want to ask you a question. Who do you think you are? I said, well, I'm Shane. She said, no. No, who do you think you are? I said, I don't understand the question. She said, I want you to look around. You've got all these adults here to help you. All these adults. And you have chosen to put 100% of this on yourself. And you've tried to do it. You've tried to run it. And you've tried to do all this because you want us to pat you on the back and say you did a good job. So I want to tell you something. God has equipped each one of us with gifts and talents. And if you'll let us, we'll help you. We'll help you to the point where all you've got to do is stand up there and teach and preach and do what God has created Shane Robertson to do and let us handle the rest. I mean, she read me up one side and down the other. I absolutely got corrected. And right there, God settled in my heart. said, man, you know what? I need to get some help. So on that second trip, I did just that. The second trip, I divvied everything out. I gave somebody the food. I gave somebody the, uh, the, to get the drinks. I let somebody plan the games. I, the only thing I did, the only thing that I did was preach and teach. Can I tell you the freedom and the liberty and the joy that was given to me when I saw those parents working and ministering and us ministering together? 
God used that event in my life to teach me about delegation. He used that in my life to say, listen, all the dependence doesn't need to be upon me when it comes to exercising ministry. It is my responsibility to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Dear friend, that's what the Bible says. It's not my responsibility to go out and win Northeast Georgia to Jesus Christ. It's our responsibility. Our responsibility is to go out from these doors and to be a witness for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's up to you and I to do that. And the reason why many times we don't work for the Lord the way that we should is because we put it on ourselves and say, I got this. I got this. The self-life is very, very reluctant. The hardest thing for most of us to do, most of us, the hardest thing for us to do is to give up control. And say, God, I, I can't do this. In fact, it's so hard that Carrie Underwood wrote a song about it that the person in the song, in order to get Jesus to take the wheel, had to almost have a wreck. Really? Yeah, I mean, you were Jesus take the wheel? No, the fact of the matter is just simply this. We have a hard time giving control unless there's a catastrophe. Dear friend, what I'm saying to you this morning is we need to give up earlier than that. We need to surrender to God earlier than that. We need to make sure that we get the sin nature where it's supposed to be. It is dead, and this sin nature is dead, and we're not going to feed it. We're not going to let it rise up. We're going to have our dependence upon God. But the reason why God uses brokenness in our lives is because our sinful nature wants dependence on self rather than God. Listen to what Paul said. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, he says, I don't understand. He said, the things that I want to do, those are the things I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, those are the things that I do. He said, oh, what a wretched man that I am. Oh, how terrible I am. He says, I'm no longer doing the things that I want to do. It's the sin that lives in me that's doing it. What's he saying? I don't have my dependence upon God. And so God says, okay, well, you'll get another whipping. Hey, listen, don't fall for this trap. Here's the trap oftentimes we fall for. Well, that's just the way that I am. That, I'm just the way, that's just the way that I am, preacher. I'm hard, I'm calloused, I'm mean, I'm cantankerous. There's nothing like a cantankerous Christian. You seen them? I mean, they got the hands folded like this right here, got the lips stuck up. And they got that attitude, bless me if you can, preacher. I'm just saying, it ain't my job to bless you. God's the one. He's the ones where the blessings come from. It's my responsibility to open up my arms and open up my hands and say, God, I'm coming to you with nothing. I can't do anything. The only way I can get up in the morning is if you wake me up. And so, Heavenly Father, I thank you that the alarm went off this morning. I thank God that I could wiggle my toes. And I thank God I could swing my legs off the bed. I could put them down on the, on the floor and st stand up and take a deep breath and say, This is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad. You see the decision that's made there? I will. See, you decide whether or not you're going to follow God or whether you're going to trust in yourself. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. I, I, I just got this. I, this is who I am. Brokenness has to be a process because giving up the self-life is a process. Number two. The second thing I want you to notice here in the text very quickly is we tend to forget the life lessons that we once learned. We have a tendency to forget the life lessons that we once learned. Have you discovered that uh, you have to learn something over and over and over and over again. I wouldn't dare embarrass David to save my life, but can I use you as an illustration? 
I remember the first event you and I went on. It was a senior adult conference there. It was Jubilee. And you remember, I don't know if you remember what happened on that day. Uh, but we were getting the luggage. <laughs> we were getting the luggage out. And you hit your head on the... Yeah, you hit it right there. You hit it on the, on the, on the back. He, we were getting the luggage out. And uh, he turned around and said, boom. I mean, he knocked his noggin. He thought, man, that's smart. Oh, my goodness, that hurt. And, and, and he took care of it. And David, since then, how many times have you hit your head in, in a similar fashion? Four times. Four times. You just can't learn, can you? That's... Now, I use that facetiously as an illustration. But the same is true in our lives. It's true in every one of our lives. We have a difficult time learning. Think about this, the children of Israel. The children of Israel learn time and time and time and time and time again to put their dependence upon God. But nine out of ten times, they always put their dependence back on themselves or the leader that was leading them instead of God. Think about it. Remember, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He's not letting the children of Israel go in the book of Exodus. So what does God do? He sends ten plagues. Those ten plagues, can you imagine being an Israelite in the Israelite camp watching those ten plagues happen? Can you imagine seeing that take place? And watching Pharaoh reluctantly turn loose of them and they leave in a drove. I mean, they leave Egypt. Man, singing praises, God has set us free. We are free, we are free, we are free. Thank you, God, for setting us free. And then they get to the Red Sea. And what happens? They start murmuring. They start complaining. You brought us out here to die, Moses. I can't believe it. Oh, and just whining and complaining. Oh, I can't believe you did this to me. And what does God do? God opens up the Red Sea and they walk over dry land. Again, they get to see God do great and amazing and wonderful things. And then what happens? And then what happens after that? Three days later, they go down to Marah. Three days later, they find themselves in Marah and the water's poisoned. And what do they do? They gripe, they complain, they murmur. I can't believe God doesn't love us. Moses, you don't love us. You brought us out here to die. We ought to go back to Egypt. We ought to just grumbling and complaining. And then what happens? What God miraculously doesn't work. Moses takes a stick, throws it in the water. The water becomes clean. They're just so happy. Yay! God loves us. Good things are happening. God loves us. And then what happens? Fifteen days later. They're out in the desert there. And as they're out in the desert, they run out of food. Oh, God, you don't love us. You just, you're going to starve us to death. Oh, Moses, it's your fault. You brought us out here to kill us. Oh, goodness. Oh, good. And what does God do? Manna from heaven. He feeds them every day. Every day the manna comes down from heaven, Exodus chapter 13. God miraculously provides for the children of Israel. And then what happens? They move again. This time there's no water to be found anywhere. And they get mad, they get frustrated, they get angry again, and they start complaining, they start quarreling, and they even threaten Moses. They say, we're going to kill you. You brought us out here, you brought us to this point. I mean, look around, look what you've done to us. We're going to kill you. And what does Moses do? He gets mad. And he takes his stick and what does he do? He hits the rock. Y'all remember that story? And the water comes out. And as the water comes out, there again, uh, we find that God gives them that pure water again to live. Again, God again has repeatedly provided for them, and they still have not learned. Then what happens? Then they go to Mount Sinai. 
Moses says, okay, guys, I'm going up there to tabernacle with God. I'm going to go up there and meet God. He's called me up there. I'll be back in just a few days. I'll be back. Y'all stay right here. Don't forget, God's brought us out of Egypt. He helped us cross the Red Sea. He provided the water at Marah. He provided the manna. He provided the water from the rock. God has provided. Our provision comes from Him. Our sufficiency is in Him. I'll be right back. And He no more got up that mountain. And what did they do? They made a golden calf. And, the, and that golden calf was back in Egypt. That's the same thing they worshipped. They were worshipping in Egypt. They built that calf, stripped off their clothes, buck naked, and they danced around that calf and acted like a bunch of dummies. I mean, they did. They did it. And they put their sufficiency on an idol. And Moses came down, and we know the story, what happened. And we know what happened to the children of Israel because they never learned their lesson. They never entered in the promised land. I mean, they, did, they died out in the wilderness. Only a few went in to see. But who were the ones that went in to see, David? Those that had hope. Those that had been through it. Those that had put their sufficiency on Christ. Those that knew that God was the one to take care of them. Listen to me. The entire history of the Word of God tells us that there's going to be challenges. There's going to be difficult times. We tend to forget the lessons we learn over time. And God is saying, don't forget this lesson. My sufficiency is what I want from you. Number three. The third and final point this morning is life and growth are a process. Life and growth are a process. Uh, none of you were born grown people. <laughs> That'd been funny if it was, though, wouldn't it? None of us were. We were born as babies. And we processed up to where we are today. Same is true spiritually, right? When you got saved, you weren't a full-grown Christian. The Bible says you're a babe in Christ. The Bible says that you were partaking of the milk of the Word. And there has to come a time that as you grow in Jesus Christ that you feast on the meat of the Word. Amen? And so this process that takes place in our lives, this process of life and growth applies to our life. And so what God does is God breaks us to remember that we hadn't arrived yet. That we're in this journey together. We're processing through this. And so as we grow and proceed through life, we face all these new challenges, all these new opportunities that must be dealt with either by the power of God or in our own flesh. How are we going to handle it? The power of God or our own flesh? And for every new challenge and opportunity we face in life, there's this struggle with domination between the flesh and the spirit. They're at war every day. Uh, when I was a teenager, I uh, got saved. And what I, was I struggling with? I was struggling with the fact in trusting God for my salvation. I mean, there were times in my life where I doubted my salvation. But I was young. I was immature. I was growing up in Jesus Christ. And, and I was learning to make more choices and put my dependence upon Him and trust Him for things. But now, now that I've been saved for many years, now my struggle as being a godly husband and a godly father and whether or not I know God loves me, but here's the question. Can I love my wife as God loves me? So there's this, new, there's this new challenge, this new brokenness that God wants me uh, to know and God wants me to learn. 
As we grow, we have new challenges and opportunities for pride and selfishness to surface. Again, when I was a young Christian, the thing that uh, most likely would cause me to stumble was my smart mouth. Now, I know that's hard for you to believe. I get it. But my mouth, I'd always get in trouble. If I wasn't sticking my foot in my mouth, I was saying something to somebody that would, uh, that would get me in trouble. And the fact of the matter is, now that I'm older, now that I'm a believer, now that I've spent many years uh, growing up in Jesus Christ, now the most likely thing that will cause me to be filled with sinful pride is a large, thriving, growing church. I'm just telling you my heart, okay? Just telling you my heart. As we grow, we discover more and more areas of our heart that we need to surrender. Surrender is not just a one-time deal. Surrender is a daily deal. When I got married, I surrendered my marriage to God. When I had my first child, I surrendered her to God. When I moved from youth pastor to associate pastor, I surrendered that to God. Then I had more kids and had surrendered them to God. And then God moved me from associate pastor to co-pastor. And I had to surrender that to God. And then I had... Another child. And I had to surrender that child to God. And then we had a terrible thing happen. We lost a baby. Miriam had a miscarriage. And my heart was broke. But I remembered that all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to His purpose. And as sad as I was that we lost that baby, that baby wasn't lost at all. You see, as a born-again Christian, I know, according to the Word of God, that life begins at conception. And that baby, when that baby died, went to heaven. So one day, I can't, I can't wait one day. But one day, when we get to heaven, I'm going to introduce you to one of my children you've never met. I'm looking forward to meeting that child too. Oh, it's going to be a great day. But do you see that that trial, even in my life, caused me to put my hope more upon Jesus? Oh, dear friend, the challenges that you experience is so that you can grow up in Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but it seems to me that the more I surrender to Christ, the more I discover in my life that I need to surrender. I mean, just when I think I got it, <laughs> something else happens. And then I'll go and I'll deal with it, and then, and then something else happens. And God breaks us because brokenness is a process. Boy, I think about the process of my own personal brokenness, and I can say this in closing. I have not been through what Paul's been through. I've never been beaten by the Jews. I've been beaten by my mom and dad, but that's a whole different, that's a different illustration. That wasn't abuse. It was discipline. I've been disciplined by my parents. But brokenness in being a process in closing, I just simply say this. We give up the self-life reluctantly. We tend to forget the life lessons that God teaches us. And life and growth are processes, not events. So we need to really be careful never to feel like we've arrived. Dear friends, 
And I need to close up. I'm out of time. God's not done with this yet here at Maysville. In fact, we've only seen the tip of the iceberg as to what God wants to do. God is calling us closer to himself so he can extend our tent post so that we can reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Dear friend, let me challenge you tonight to be back here this evening and hear from our staff. I can't wait for my staff to get up here and share with you. They're going to share with you what God's doing in their ministries. Let me challenge you to be back here tonight at 6 o'clock. We'll have a great time together. But what I want you to think about right now in this, in this uh, closing application is this. God may be breaking you of something. Remember, God's breaking you is not his abandonment. It's his activity. And this activity in your life is a process. It's not just an event. There might be a big event, like what happened in Job's life. There might be a big event, like what happened in Paul's life. But the process that those two men were going through is the process of putting their dependence upon God and not upon themselves. The sooner you realize you don't have this is the sooner God can take that from you and use it for His glory. Let's bow for prayer. Maybe you're here today and maybe you're struggling with the fact that you do not know where you're going to spend an eternity. Maybe you're struggling with the fact that God, in His great love for you, does not want you to go to hell. God's desire for you is to go to heaven. God's desire for you is to spend and have eternity with Him. In fact, God does this in such an incredible way. God sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. God sent His Son to die on the cross for your sins. And dear friend, today, what God's trying to break you of is your own pride, thinking that you can get to heaven on your own. This morning, I want to issue a challenge to you. Why don't you lay that pride down? Just lay it down. And why don't you come to Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? And why don't you ask God to save your soul? He's broke you. Come to Him. Dear friend, if you're here and you'd like to trust Christ as Savior, then right where you're at, why don't you say this to the Lord? Why don't you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe you are the Messiah. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin. This morning I repent and I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. I'll live for you. In Jesus' name. Now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, please know when looking around, if you're here today and you need to make that decision.